America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day to face a great question. Why is it that one of the American political parties, that one of the factions, that one of the political points of view in this country is suddenly allergic to the term woman or women? They just don't want to use it because it's so offensive. Is it Republicans? Republicans trying to wipe out females? I mean, basically, women have voted in the majority for Democratic candidates for years. We will get to that riddle. It's a riddle that is posed uh, and, and posed very pointedly by the New York Times, of all people. Uh, we will get to that. Tonight, uh, there is uh, more excitement than you can even imagine concerning the hearings from the House Select Committee about what happened on January 6th. I have a question for you and would love to get your calls on this. Uh, are you planning to watch? And if you are, why? And if you're not planning to watch, why? Uh, right now, they're making it kind of difficult for you not to watch if you're going to be watching TV. Maybe you're going to be doing something uh, different. Or you do care enough about what happened on January 6th. What's fascinating to me is everybody is viewing this as a question of political strategy. Is this the kind of strategy that is going to help the Democrats come back and make up for Biden's incredibly negative uh, approval rating? Th there is this right now, and it's stunning to actually look at, is if you look at the graphs and you look at the numbers, uh, Biden has hit the lowest approval of his presidency. And, uh, in fact, how lopsided is it? It's 20 points, 58% of voters disapprove of Biden's job performance. Only 39% approve. So a 19% difference. That, that is huge. And the people who strongly disapprove, 37% uh, of Democrats strongly approve his, his uh, performance in office. But 80%, 80% of Republicans strongly disapprove. So there's much more fervent opinion against Joe Biden and his performance as president than there is approval or enthusiasm endorsing his performance of, uh, as president, even among Democrats. And that's, that's a, a deadly situation. However... There's an aspect to this new survey, which is from Morning Consult, and uh, it's a, a, a big, a credible survey. They also ask a very simple question. Uh, are, are you good? Would you vote right now for the Democratic or the Republican candidate if the election for U.S. Congress was held in your district today? Now, wouldn't you think with people so much disliking Joe Biden and what he's doing that there'd be an overwhelming margin for Republicans? There's not. It's tied. And it's one of the reasons that I think that people on every side and every quarter make the mistake when they 
suggest that this election is over. Okay, are the Democrats going to have any success or find any traction because of the hearings tonight over what happened on January 6th? I I think that the long-term impact of those hearings might be to make it less likely that uh, Donald Trump runs for president or make it less likely that he wins the Republican nomination if he does run. I think it could hurt him. But is it necessarily going to hurt a Republican who is not deeply entangled with Trump world and with the uh, entire effort to overturn the election? If uh, somebody like that is running, is it going to hurt him? Is is the, Are these hearings going to somehow hurt Lanhee Chin? Uh, Lanhee Chin, the first Republican since 2006 to actually uh, uh, come out on top in a statewide, a, a, a race for statewide office in California. And it's been a very long time since Republicans have done anything in, in California. It's not since Arnold Schwarzenegger, really. And uh, Lonnie Chen, who has uh, cleared the primary, he's made it through the primary. He has now got more votes than his Republican opponent, Betty Yee. And uh, he uh, he's going to be joining us later in the show talking about what it is that he uh, made a point about that uh, helped him to do so well in his, uh, in his primary election. Uh, the uh, Gallup poll at the time uh, indicated that 71% of Americans watched some of the Watergate hearings on television. Any of you old enough to remember? Did you? I did. I mean, I was fascinated by them, very intrigued by them. Is That's what the Democrats are hoping for here, but will they get it? And even if they do, will people hearing about some of the foibles of the Trump administration say, oh, well, that means I can't vote for my Republican candidate for the House of Representatives or for my Republican candidate for the Senate? There's a new list of the Senate uh, seats that are most likely to flip in terms of party control. And here's a shocker. This is not a partisan list. It is from Real Clear Politics, and they analyze all the polling, and they analyze the positives and the negatives. You know what the biggest surprise on that list is? The state of Washington is there. It's right on the edge. They listed listed as the 11th most likely uh possible flip, which would mean a loss for Patty Murray, who has been a senator from this state and is supposed to be hugely popular, but the polls show she's vulnerable. And she's running against a very dynamic and effective Republican candidate who's been a guest on the show a couple of times, Tiffany Smiley. We're eager to have her back. She should be thrilled to see that um, they are saying over at Real Clear Politics she has a real chance of pulling a uh, major upset. Uh, Nancy Pelosi had uh, a, a brilliant summation about the good economic news, uh, and this um, something that she's putting off, actually, going into more detail. But uh, with her press conference today, Nancy Pelosi said this, clip 14. So, 
things have improved, but inflation has gone up, and we must address that because the cost of food and the price at the pump. Now, the price at the pump is affected by uh, shortages, some of it caused by Putin. This is part of this is Putin's price at the pump. Not all of it, but most much of it. Uh, when you have lower supply, you have higher costs. That's just the way it is. So we have to recognize it. Uh, we have to uh, mitigate for it. And that's part of what next we have been doing, but we'll continue to do next week. Uh, we'll continue to do next week. Uh, she's going to get in trouble, of course, because she said, I think the economy is doing great, uh, except for the inflation. The inflation is what everybody feels in the United States of America. There's also a, um, a very worrisome sign out of Iran where they appear that they have turned off the video monitors that were supposed to be watching their uh, facilities uh, that and, and keeping uh, the world's eyes on whether they were honoring their terms of the uh, Iran nuclear accord, the accord that America pulled out of under President Trump. What happens with that whole Iran nuclear deal? We'll also be speaking with Michael Rubin about that. And uh, more on uh, uh, Mitch McConnell saying Congress must move immediately. On what? We'll tell you coming up on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, the uh, long-awaited hearing after more than a thousand witnesses, we finally come to open nationally televised hearings. They're going to be televised everywhere except uh, Fox. Uh, They're going to be televised on the major networks. And they are going to be televised on Fox Business, apparently, the hearings tonight. Uh, then there is nothing over the weekend. They have a, another session of televised hearings on Monday. And then after that, let's see. Uh, the uh, clear attempt here is to let people know uh, that the Democrats are anti-crime <laughs> and basically focusing on a series of crimes in particular. And I say crimes because most of the people who have been indicted and arrested so far for participating in January 6th have either pleaded guilty or they've been convicted. Uh, no acquittals. Uh, the people who are involved are very, very suspect, very guilty. But is that a crime, uh, a one-off, a one-shot crime on January 6th of 2021. Is that the kind of crime that is upsetting the American people right now? 1-800-955-1776. If you are not planning to watch the hearings, or if you are, be interested to hear why. 
1-800-955-1776. James Carville makes it clear that um, right now the American people are concerned with another kind of crime. Uh, this is clip 15. Democratic voters have seized control of their party. The, the people of San Francisco won last night. The faculty at Berkeley, the University of California at Berkeley, lost. And, you know, this is not unusual. They lost in Seattle, Minneapolis, Buffalo, Cleveland, New Orleans, New York City. Uh, I, I mean, hopefully that the, a lot of people in the party and a lot of people that cover the party and influences understand that the Democrats around the country live in this country, and they, they want a safe country, and they want people to pay attention to them, uh, the people that do the work and walk the streets and ride mass transit and, and go to the hospitals and send their kids to school. That, that's who counts in this country, not, not a bunch of snobby, self-righteous elites. Uh, James Carville sounding like he is far more in touch with the core of his party. And the core of American opinion, uh, too, much more so than some of the leaders of the party. Now, I I am definitely going to be watching the hearings. I mean, partially because it's my job, but second of all, because I am fascinated. And I think the hearings are important. I don't think that they will have a direct impact on this election uh, because you're not hearing... Uh, mainstream Republicans. There are a few. There are people like Lauren Boebert, who says it was the police who were the violent ones on January 6th, which is absurd and ridiculous. But uh, I don't think they're going to have an impact on the election coming up in 2022. They could have an impact on the election of 2024 by um, focusing on Trump. And his role and that now famous 187 minutes. Nobody has provided an answer of what it was exactly the president was doing. And, uh, in fact, there have been some indications, uh, including a, a new uh, audio excerpt that was just released with, uh, with Trump talking down the line, talking on a phone uh, five days after the January 6th uh, riots. And uh, Kevin McCarthy at that time, five days later, was acknowledging that it, the January 6th was an important thing that cannot just be swept under the rug. Here is what this uh, latest release, uh, when the voice of the Republican House leader, uh, Kevin McCarthy, sounded like, clip 16. When they started breaking into my office, um, Myself and the staff got removed from the office. In doing so, I made a phone call to the president, um, telling him what was going on, asking him to tell these people to stop, to make a video, and go out. And I, I was very intense and very loud about it. We cannot just sweep this under the rug. We need to know why it happened, who did it, and people need to be held accountable for it. And I'm committed to make sure that happens. Okay, and again, the fact that um, there were Republicans who were standing up for that kind of sanity even much closer to the time. The real problem for voters, and this is clear in editorials and analysis of everything that happened on primary day this Tuesday, 
Uh, primary results suggest voters focused on crime. That's a, a headline from the Wall Street Journal today. This week's primary voting offered new evidence Democrats are at risk if they look soft on crime in this year's midterm elections, even in the nation's most liberal cities. Chesa Bowden, who was uh, uh, Boudin, who was uh, recalled, thrown out of office as the district attorney for the county of San Francisco, his defeat came as real estate developer Rick Caruso, a former Republican who campaigned on a message of cracking down on crime in Los Angeles, advanced to a November runoff to uh, succeed Mayor Eric Garcetti in the nation's second largest city. Mr. Caruso will face Karen Bass, a six-term Democratic congresswoman who has pledged to address crime by returning the police department to its fully authorized force. Well, that's good. And by tackling root causes of homelessness by providing job training and mental health services. Okay, job training is a root cause of homelessness. How, how many homeless uh, campers who are famously in cities all across the country won't accept shelter that is provided for them free, particularly if it means they have to stop using drugs. I mean, the idea that job training is what homeless people are waiting for, it's a ridiculous notion. There are more ridiculous notions that need to be covered as we approach uh, the more serious choosing in this election season uh, with the, um, uh, the hearings being broadcast almost everywhere tonight. Uh, meanwhile, are Americans concerned, or should they be, with uh, foreign relations, with what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, and what's happening with Iran? Uh, we will talk about the very latest. The uh, Iran turns off U.N. surveillance cameras at nuclear site. That and more with uh, Michael Rubin, who's spent a great deal of time and study on Iran and the current nuclear threat from the Persian uh, theocracy. That and more coming up on The Medved Show. Your daily dose of debate. Calm down for a minute. Do you understand how irrational you're... Michael Medved Show, a pleasure to welcome back Michael Rubin, who is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he specializes in uh, some of the fun spots in the world, Iran, uh, Turkey, and uh, the broader Middle East. He's a former Pentagon official who has lived in uh, post-revolution Iran in Yemen and both in pre-war and post-war Iraq. He also spent some time with the Taliban before 9-11. Michael, I understand you just got back from some other world travels. Where were you? Well, I was in the Central African Republic looking at what the Wagner Group, the Russian-backed mercenaries, are doing there. And then I was also most recently in Armenia looking at the aftermath of the war that occurred more than a year ago between Christian Armenia and Azerbaijan over the territory of Nagorno-Karabakh. 
Right. Uh, and uh, why why are there Russian mercenaries in the Central African Republic exactly? That's actually a very, very good question. Uh, the Central African Republic used to be sort of under the French sphere of influence. Uh, there was a lot of ethnic trouble. There was a civil war. There was an attempted coup. And as French prestige on the world stage has declined, the Russians sensed an opportunity and decided to send their own people in. Now the problem is that the Russians are actually making things worse. There's a great deal of ethnic cleansing. The Russians have seized the gold mines and other resources. And the question then becomes, how do you get the Russians out? Or are the Russians actually sparking more terrorism than, they're, uh, than they claim to have resolved? Yeah, and... And again, is it possible that they are using this moment where people who are concerned at all about Russia don't even think about Central Africa? They think about Ukraine. The rest of the world is preoccupied with Ukraine. They're getting the bad publicity there. So, hey, who cares about Central Africa, right? Well, you're absolutely right. It also gives a window into some of their strategy because they're they're basically seizing resources. And then what do they do with those resources? They're basically funding themselves the way the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, Iran's military, funds itself. Um, and so that becomes a problem. We also see other patterns. In Central African Republic, the Russians brought in Syrian mercenaries to also do their dirty work, and that also seems to be um, part of a new pattern. So we see the Russians engaging in all sorts of asymmetric or irregular warfare. The question is whether the Americans, the French, and others are willing to um, confront that head on. Okay. Now we have this news from Iran. Uh, the headline uh, from Washington Post is uh, Iran turns off UN surveillance cameras at nuclear site. Now, why, why would they do that? Well, the concern we would have is that they're approaching a breakout um, capability. So what that basically means is we know they've in increased a great deal of their enriched uranium. They now have enough, arguably, to build a bomb. It takes a few days to do that, or perhaps a week. And if there's not monitoring of the stockpiles like they're supposed to be, then it's anyone's guess whether they're, whether they're actually starting this process or not. So at the very worst, they're actively trying to build a nuclear weapon. At the very best, they're simply playing with the minds of the West, keeping everyone guessing strategic ambiguity. But either way, it's a sign that our strategy towards Iran has failed. Now, the um, uh, Politico just 24 minutes ago ran this headline, Iran nuclear deal nears potential fatal blow as Tehran removes cameras. Watchdog chief says... Uh, Robert Malley, who is uh, described to the Senate the prospects for resuming stalemated talks with Iran as tenuous at best. The, uh, the Hill is writing, yet against all evidence to the contrary, the Biden administration clings forlornly to the hope of a new nuclear deal. It is beyond time to move on. You agree with that? I do agree with that. Look, desperation is not a good strategy. And the fact that we've approached this whole issue with the lack of seriousness, with telegraphed um, desperation, has actually condemned it even before, condemned the nuclear diplomacy even before we got started. And we've got to have, a, we, we, we need to recognize that the best way to move forward or the best way to have a U.S. strategy isn't simply to do the opposite of what the last guy did. 
but to actually act in a bipartisan way. And unfortunately, what we see with so many alumni of the Biden, uh, of the Obama administration in charge of this file, what we basically have is an Obama administration part two. And the deal arguably didn't work then. Uh, certainly there wasn't bipartisan consensus, and there's been no effort in order to drive a bipartisan policy now. There's lots of things we can do, but I'll tell you, with oil at around $130 a barrel, with the Iranians selling a million barrels of smuggled oil a day, they have absolutely no interest in actually seeing this through. They feel themselves in the driver's seat, and we need to recognize reality and then have a policy that is calibrated to reality rather than wishful thinking. Does calibrating a policy with reality mean accepting Iran as a new member of the nuclear club? It shouldn't, and it's not too late. Unfortunately, we need to also recognize that while we look at diplomacy as a way to resolve problems, Iran traditionally has looked at diplomacy as an asymmetric warfare strategy to tie their opponent's hands while they push forward with their actual nuclear projects. So what could we do? The maximum pressure campaign that was um, initiated by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was wildly successful at denying Iran the resources, resources, denying its proxies the resources. Right now, people can throw up their hands and say, well, Iran is selling all this oil. Um, the fact of the matter is, however, the Biden administration has chosen not to enforce sanctions. That's different than lifting sanctions. They're basically going around Congress. Congress can basically act. Um, and already there's signs that the more moderate strand of the Democratic Party is fed up, and therefore there is an opportunity for, if the White House isn't going to lead, perhaps Congress could lead on this issue. If uh, Iran did develop a uh, nuclear capacity, would the most likely target be Israel, Saudi Arabia, or American interests in the Middle East? The answer to that is yes, unfortunately, Michael. It's, it's, it's all of the above. Uh, but look, the threat of an Iran with nuclear weapons isn't that Iran is suicidal. That's not what concerns me. What concerns me is that Iran could be terminally ill. Because when we talk about a nuclear Iran, the guys who would have command control and possession, custody of that nuclear weapon, would be the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. What happens if you have an uprising in Iran where the government starts to collapse? Then if you realize there's only 24 hours left to your administration and you are chosen for your ideological fealty to this belief in, uh, in what the Islamic Republic stands for, why not then launch nuclear weapons knowing, look, your regime has gone tomorrow. And would the rest of the world actually retaliate against a country that already had regime change? So this is where this idea of deterrence breaks down. If Iran is collapsing under its own weight, Honestly, it's the same sort of problem we have in Pakistan, but it could happen a lot quicker in Iran. You know, that, that is a very, very brilliant point that I think most people don't think of is uh, uh, the, when you and President Trump uh, was famous for saying during a campaign, what the hell do you have to lose? That is what the mullahs uh, could could easily say if their regime was in dire trouble. Uh, read the latest um, posting by Michael Rubin of American Enterprise Institute. It's at our website at michaelmedved.com. It's about Henry Kissinger's long history of appeasing dictatorships. Now, that's not to 
uh, to somehow disrespect uh, some of Henry Kissinger's real contributions to this country. But still, when he gives the advice to uh, Ukraine to basically appease Russia, this is background you need. Uh, we will be right back on the Medved Show. Well, everything you're saying is reasonable. Michael Medved. of debate. I'm a huge fan of your show. I almost never agree with you. The Michael Medved Show. And on the uh, Michael Medved Show, uh, obviously a great deal of Washington continues to talk about uh, guns and gun laws and uh, a brilliant insight. Actually, I, I mean that sarcastically. I think it's one of the dumbest things that um, people have said recently about guns and the gun issue. And uh, it's from Joy Behar, of course, of The View. And she uh, does something incredibly racist in its assumptions, and it manages to be profoundly insulting to white people, to black people, to pretty much anybody living in the United States of America. Here is what she said about guns and crime in America and how we could end up changing gun laws immediately. Uh, listen, clip four. Most AR-15 owners are former military. Okay. 35 plus Let me say married. one more thing. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Is that yeah. not once, crazy once, okay. Here's the thing. Once black people get guns in this country, the gun laws will change. Trust me. Okay. Once black people get gun laws in this country, the gun laws will change. A truster? No, you, you don't trust her. What's so funny about this is this uh, came out at uh, just about the same time her comment as a column uh, by Jason Riley under the heading, Why Black Americans Are Buying More Guns. And he writes, the people who bear the brunt of rising violent crime are taking steps to protect themselves. He says, voters have noticed that cities where shootings occur almost daily also have some of the strictest gun laws. Using common sense, they've concluded that more gun control legislation probably is not the solution because criminals, by definition, don't respect laws. Many of the same people likewise find it unconscionable that elected officials would make it more difficult for law-abiding residents of high-crime neighborhoods to arm themselves for protection. Uh, someone might remind Mr. Biden that the past two landmark Supreme Court rulings on gun control were fueled by black plaintiffs who simply wanted to defend their homes and their families. And then he talks about District of Columbia versus Heller and McDonald versus Chicago both of which involved uh, black plaintiffs who wanted the right to defend themselves at home in gun-ridden neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. And in uh, uh, Chicago, where basically the black people, far from this idea of a Joy Behar, well, 
once black people get guns, black people already have guns. Uh, Jason Riley writes, it's well known that gun sales have surged in recent years, but less well known is that blacks have led the trend. Now, why is that? Is that because they're crazy gun nuts? They're just enraptured by the gun culture? No, it's because with cutbacks in police that have been pushed by other by black activists and and many others, and with the rise in crime, it's a, a very normal thing for people who live in neighborhoods where shootings are a way of life to try to protect themselves. A gun buyback provision is not going to work in a crime-ridden minority neighborhood. Jason Riley writes, retailers in an online survey conducted by the National Shooting Sports Foundation, a trade group, reported that they sold 58% more guns to black customers in the first half of 2020 than a year earlier. The highest increase for any ethnic group. Personal safety tops the list of why people decide to buy a firearm. In a 2021 Gallup survey, 88% of respondents said they own a gun for protection against crime, which is up from 67% in 2005. Now, none of this means that uh, black people are unanimously or even a majority necessarily going to oppose the idea of uh, a ban on the sale of, uh, say, AR-15-style weapons to people below the age of 21. In fact, I have not heard a good argument. Uh, If you want to make one, by the way, we'll open the lines to you, 1-800-955-1776. what is the best argument for why it is important to preserve the ability of 18 and 19-year-olds to get these particular weapons? I mean, wouldn't it be uh, more appropriate given the great propensity of people in that 18 to 21 age group, that propensity for violence, disproportionate? and particularly with some of these school shootings and mass shootings that are so much horrifying the country. Uh, look, all of this goes to, to this idea that um, basically saying that uh, Americans are, and, and that's what Joy Behar is saying, is he's saying if black people have guns, then because of racism, because it's such a dire, horrible, racist country, that in that case people would be opposed to uh, uh, suddenly uh, would be in favor of uh, a gun law reform. Um, yeah, it, it, here this came in from Paul in Redmond, Washington, who said, I see the January 6th riot TV show is coming on tonight. I am sitting and wondering why I do not have any interest. My reaction, as I should be at least curious, it will be a propaganda show designed to punish anybody that is not a Democrat. It will be full of fake news and sadly show a corrupted DOJ weaponized by the DNC. 
We have riots in this country almost monthly, but DOJ doesn't care as long as it supports DNC. Sad. I don't pay attention anymore, nor do I care. This is what President Obama brought to our culture, culture and political wars being played out in riots. It was something of real concern. I am wondering why nothing is being done about the assassin that was provoked by Schumer or on Kavanaugh. This is an insurrection for sure. Where is the DOJ? Rhetorical. Political stunt, and trust me, Trump will be the nominee. Why would I be interested in watching our country being divided even more? Uh, let me... Let me try to respond to that for just a moment, because this is the uh, – you're very eloquent and uh, uh, clearly stated objection to watching the hearings uh, shows the main challenge facing Democrats, which is that basically if you have the assumption – that the election was legitimate and a, a small majority, but it is a majority of Americans believe that it was. But this is the problem that Democrats have is that if you're going to convince people that the way that the situation was handled on January 6th and the weeks leading up to it and the weeks after January 6th for that matter, if you believe that that was irresponsible and it was shameful, uh, then you're going to want to watch the hearings. But you first have to convince people that what happened on January 6th with people attacking the Capitol building, which, by the way, is very different. That's not the kind of riot that happens every day. It's, uh, in fact, we have not had a major riot assaulting the Capitol building. I mean, ever, unless you count the British invasion of Washington in 1815, 1814, actually, uh, as, as some kind of a riot. It was. That was a military assault. But uh, this, is, this is one of those things where people who believe that the election was stolen, that the uh, voting machines should have been impounded, that Trump should have declared martial law, all those various things that they're going to expose that were part of the agenda within Trump's inner councils, those things will look okay to people who believe the election was a fraud. And that's why correcting that belief and correcting it firmly and clearly and logically is the one best thing one could hope for out of the hearings as they develop in this greatest nation on God's green earth. 